I mean, I think people go into entrepreneurship because all entrepreneurs have that in common. Like freedom is their number mm -hmm. one value or, you know, desire in life. Like they go into entrepreneurship to be their own boss and to own their future and, and all of that. So I was just like, oh man, this is awesome. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and on today's show, we have a founder who created a high-growth mental health platform that provides the easiest way for employers to understand and manage employee mental well-being. The app provides HIPAA-compliant, real-time employee data to companies and on-demand holistic mental health solutions for employees. Meet Amelia Wilcox, CEO and founder of Nevati. Amelia is here today to tell us all about her journey as a lifelong entrepreneur, the ups and downs uh, that it entails, and the exciting path she is on as a B2B SaaS founder based in Utah. Hi, Amelia. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Les. I'm excited to be here with you today. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm super excited to have you. I got to say, not to like set super, super duper high expectations, but your story as a founder and the journey, it's got to be one of my favorites of all time. And I mean that. Well, thank you. <laughs> so so, so going, will you tell it? <laughs> going through the process is not one of my favorites. Of course, but that's what makes it so cool. So I'd love for you to start out and just tell us, tell like maybe start where you grew up or, you know, sure. how you got into, yeah. Start, start back in the day. Um, yeah. So yeah, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, grew up pretty poor. Both my parents worked, um, was just like left my own devices a lot. Uh, earliest experience with Entre entrepreneurial childhood, childhood. Yeah, sure. yeah, 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 exactly. My earliest experiences with entrepreneurship um, include like how when I was in middle school, my dad would bring home like these cases of chocolate chip cookies from like the discount bakery for 50 cents a piece and I would take them to school and sell them for a dollar a piece, which was awesome. So, uh, that worked for a little while till the school shut me down. Then like, the I was going to say, man, you got some really good gross margin on that. <laughs> I know. Cookies. Um, yeah. yeah. And then like my mom wanted to make Christmas cards and sell them one Christmas. And so me and my brother, I just remember every day after school, we'd be like, we had stamps and glue and glitter and like this glossy paper. And we made these uh, Christmas cards we sold um, growing, growing up when I was in high school. I would go and sell glow sticks at like these outdoor concerts. And so I was just always <laughs> hustling and looking Amazing. for ways to make money. My, my mom- and those evil regulators were just always shutting yeah, you down. Like they were, I mean, in a yeah. true story of business. <laughs> right, Even now, right. I'm just like, ugh, HIPAA. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah, I, I feel the same way about, uh, about HIPAA, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what, um, so, so from high school and glow sticks in Kansas city, like what, what was next and what was next on your, uh, in your, in, you know, in your journey? Yeah. I went to college for like a semester in Southern Missouri. And then I was like, eh. my dad, my dad had like forced me to do computer engineering in high school at like the Votech school. And I uh -huh. hated it, but he was like, 
if you're a computer programmer, like then you will never be poor. And I was like, okay, I I would like to not be poor. That would be great. So I did that for, I did two years of COBOL programming my junior and senior year, which is like COBOL. I know. That's what they were teaching. Oh my gosh. Because I'm really like 60. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was going to say, you're not old enough to be, but I, I learned ADA. So that was Kind of a kind of a comp, I'd say, yeah. useless comp as well. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there are still a lot of banking softwares and stuff that run on sure. Cobalt. I am told, so it's still legit. Um, yeah, so then I went to college. I studied Java and C and I just didn't like it at all. And I was just like, all right, I'm done with school. I'm gonna go out to Utah where my mom grew up. I'm gonna go stay with my aunt and just like figure out what I want to do with my life. So I came out, which is where I live now. I live um, in Midway outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. I came, I live downtown Salt Lake. Um, and, and what time, I, what time frame was this? I was 19. So well, in terms of what year though? Oh, Wait, what Salt year? Lake has changed. It's all like it's changed a lot. 2002. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So I would, yeah. So 20, almost, yeah, like 20 years ago. So Salt Lake has changed a lot. Yeah. Right? You've seen yeah. it. You've seen it change. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, I got, I got a job when I first moved here because I lived with my aunts and both of them had jobs. So they like couldn't help me get a job or drive me anywhere. So they were just like, well, get a job and figure out how to use the bus system. <laughs> so I did. And my first job here was a uh, feature films for families. I worked in a call center as a, like an inside sales rep and I'd never done sales before. <laughs> and in like one week I was like the top performer and they were like offering me at the time, I think I was making 12 bucks an hour. They offered me 15 bucks an hour. And I was like, and back then I was a lot more money than it is now. <laughs> I yeah. was like, I was like, no, I really, I think I want to go work at this spa. I just wanted, I didn't really enjoy that. Uh, I guess call center atmosphere very much. Um, and so, yeah, I met a girl who did massage. She was a massage therapist and she took me to the massage school and had me get my first massage. And I was like, so like, what you want me to get undressed? It's so weird. I'm so uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) I remember even thinking like, why do they need you to take your underwear off? It's not like you have muscles in your butt. And I didn't even—I didn't even have like basic anatomy um, experience or anything. I just was like, "There's no muscles there." It's like, um, is this normal? Is it? Exactly. Yeah. So I—I yeah. I got a massage and it was like amazing. And I was so mm-hmm. also amazed. Like she—I think she charged sixty bucks an hour. It, it paid for her own apartment. She got to make her own hours, work on the people she wanted to. Um, I was just like, man, that's like the ultimate freedom. I mean, I think people go into entrepreneurship because all entrepreneurs have that in common. Like freedom is their number Mm -hmm. one value or, you know, desire in life. Like they go into entrepreneurship to be their own boss and to own their future and and all of that. So I was just like, oh man, this is awesome. So I went to massage school, worked in a spa. Um, I had my own private practice for five years. And in the meantime, I was having, I had my first baby. Um, with my husband and we started an online outdoor retail store called marumbi.com it's kind of like a backcountry.com situation um yeah. and we ran that for a while and I learned a lot of really good things um I learned e-commerce I learned how to like go and sell myself to big retailers right it's just another sales skill to be like yeah we're just, it's just 
we're totally big and can take can carry the more space, right? Like you should let you, you us. haven't heard of us? Like, yeah, you should <laughs> Google it. Oh. You'll see. We're huge. Exactly. exactly. So you had to like convince yeah. them to let you carry their brands and convince sure. you to let them write write to let you write them a twenty five thousand dollars check, right? Um yeah. and so we ran that for five years, had all this inventory in our garage. Um, when the recession hit, we couldn't sell anything anymore. People had, if you recall, back in 2008, people lost yeah. their jobs. The housing oh, yeah. market went crazy. People were losing their homes. And it's just like the market kind of dried up. And so- we Especially, especially, yeah, I would imagine for like the luxury items, like, you know, outdoor stuff. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, some people that were already living out of vans, like, that's, that's the thing. Like that's not a luxury item, but for everybody else I could see. Yeah. That would be tough. So what'd you yeah. do? What'd you do with Rumby? Yeah. So it's Mo Rumby. Oh, Ma Rumby. Don't confuse it with Rumby Island Grill. I don't want to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> Ma Rumby. We'll put, we'll put the link in the show notes. Can, can people still go there? No, no people not. can't still go there. Uh, <laughs> All right. No, so we, it's named after a mountain in Brazil. But anyway, um, so yeah, so we liquidated everything. We sold it for less than we had bought it for. We were Mm. left with uh, about $60,000 in debt. And Mm. I was just like, well, how do we get ourselves out of this now? So I was doing like five hours of massage a day. And at this point we had uh, two, two little girls, two little babies. And my husband was, he's a firefighter. So he was doing that. And driving concrete truck, um, on the weekends wow. and then working security a couple days a week at night up at like the Kennecott mines here. And it was just like, we were working so hard and I was like, man, we cannot outwork this problem. We cannot get out of the situation we're in just by like putting in more hours. And so I thought, I thought, oh, we're gonna have to start another business. I don't know. It should be something I'm passionate about. I really love wow. massage. I'm super passionate about helping people in pain. Um, I was like, how do I build a massage business? Well, I know I don't want to do a spa because I worked in the spa. The margins are really low. Um, they're hard. There's like the overhead is insane because you have to have a space and then there's all the supplies and, you know, tables and equipment and people and the turnover is high. Anyway, I just already knew the spa space and I was like, mm, not interested. So I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if you could bring massage into the workplace and companies would just pay for it as a benefit? Um, very, very I, cool idea. And, yeah. and that was what time this was like, it's 20, 2009? 2009. Yeah. 2009 yep. and, and 2000. So very forward. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, you, you rewind, uh, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, that's a very forward thinking sort of vision. I yeah. Would, I would argue. It was definitely before it was cool for sure. They were doing this in <laughs> Canada. So it was happening a lot okay. in Canada and in California, there were companies doing it like in the Bay area and stuff. So I was like, well, let's see if we can sell that here in Utah. Let's. So uh-huh. I had a friend that did logo design and another friend that did website. Um, and I just basically, and this must, this must be Navadi, right? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I know it's not, I'm just teasing, but, but it's, it's this whole journey is like the beginning of Navadi. So yeah, uh, it is I just beginning. wanted to remind our, I wanted to remind our listeners that like, we're getting there, but this is so cool how it all evolves. So, all right. Yeah. So it's called Incorporate Massage. Started it February, 2010. And I just originally got a bunch of brochures together, had somebody build me like a pretty terrible website and handed these brochures (laughs) out to all my friends. 
I was like, just take this to work, give it to your head of HR, see if they'll pay us money. And I didn't have any employees or anything, nobody to even do the massages. Um, and I wait, wait, so what was the fulfillment here? Was it going to be you? Like you're going to drive around? Honestly, I was kind of on the fence. Right. I was like, well, I could do it and keep all the money or I could pay someone else <laughs> and then not have to do any work and keep half the money. And I was, I knew Brilliant. that the work on the business, not in the business was like the solution I needed, but I was so tempted because we were so poor and like so strapped. I was like, man, but no, the first job I got, they needed three massage therapists. And I was like, well, there's my answer. <laughs> I can't be three people. Is. So I might as well just hire three instead of two. <laughs> the business decision was made for you by the customer. There exactly. it is. That's amazing. That's yep. great. Yeah. So we started um, just doing it like a handful of like little events where it's like admin appreciation day. And um, yep. in fact, our first client is still our client today. Um, we still, we still, cause we, there is a massage um revenue channel that still exists sure. um at the version of the company now which is Navadi and so uh, we do uh -huh. still have most of our original customers still work with us 12 years that's later that's a cool data point i know that's that's like you talk about retention and like that's amazing <laughs> it's like yes we did a good job um so yeah we got our first contract to do it regularly with USANA Health Sciences here in Utah like 500 employees and we came in every single Monday and did their massages. And then once I did that, I was like, okay, now I want more of these contracts because that recurring revenue is real nice <laughs> and mm -hmm. easier to staff because then it's like, if you can just assign a massage therapist that like every Monday they work here, then I don't have to go yeah. out and find massage therapists for every single shift. And so I was like, I want more of these. Um, and then we got a contract with Entrada, which is a tech company here in Utah. And they had a Dallas office. And they said, hey, we want massages at our Dallas office too. Can we do that or should we hire someone local? <laughs> and I said- Like, no, no, no. We'll just use our Dallas uh, branch to service yeah, that Exactly. Contract, right? So basically, basically what I said, I was like, no, 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 I'll figure it out. I'll get you, I'll get you uh, massages in Dallas. So that was my first time trying to figure out how to hire and interview someone virtually because- <laughs> <laughs> with massage it's like the traditional massage interview is like you go into a spa or chiropractor's office or whatever you massage your interviewer and then they feel <laughs> your massage and that's how they decide if they're going to hire you or not. i mean what it's not like you could ask them questions like so tell me a time when you had a really challenging massage like like that doesn't that that doesn't work right you, yeah i get it that's how you interview them okay yeah so i was i had to kind of figure out that problem i was like how am i going to hire people outside of the country i'm not going to fly there and have everyone massage me because for my Utah therapist, I would have them come to my house and I would just be like, come to my house, bring your massage chair and give me a massage. And then I started having one of my employees be the person getting the massages and making the decision. So I didn't have to do that anymore. And so yeah. at this point, I'm like, I'm not going to fly someone out there. I'm not going to fly them here. I was like, I've got to figure out a way to determine if they're a good massage therapist or not just by, by watching a video is what I came up with. I was like, I have done so much massage and I've viewed, you know, I can look at a person. I can be like, oh, they're using the right body mechanics. I can tell that the pressure's good. I can evaluate their equipment. I can see, you know, are they dressed professionally and hygienic looking, you know, yeah. I, can, I can evaluate like all these different areas of criteria. So I gave it a shot and I was like, I'm going to have them do like submit like a five minute video of them massaging someone like a, someone in their household or whatever friend. Um, yep. And then I built out like a grading rubric and I was like, okay, on a scale of one to five, I'll give them a score in these different categories. And then that's what we used to scale. So <laughs> we hired so everyone cool. virtually. 
Very cool. And nowadays people would like probably build some AI algorithm to evaluate the, the video, but the video, just the video idea. That's brilliant. It's really cool. Yeah. So we grew the company to about 1200 massage therapists across the U S and then we had um, teams in Canada and a team in Mexico that we contracted with. Cause I was like, I don't want to mess with international taxes. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah, so we contracted with partners um, in the other countries in, in North America, but uh, grew that to, we worked about just under 4,000 companies in the U.S. Um, Unbelievable. Intel was one of our biggest clients. We covered, I think, eight or nine of their locations across the U.S. And um, yeah, about 50%, 52%, I think, of our revenue was on contracts. And then the other... 48% was events. So somebody just having us out for like nurses week or as a Christmas party thing, you know, just like whatever reason you want to come up with. It's usually fake holidays made up by corporate America. <laughs> it's teacher appreciation week. It's nurses week. It's tax. Let's get a massage. <laughs> exactly. Massage um, therapist week. Yeah. So, so you grew this, I mean, unbelievable from idea to, you know, 12, 1200 massage therapists, 4,000 companies. I mean, what a journey. I mean, you must have been one of the largest yep. of these sorts of offerings in the country. Were you? I mean, were you the biggest? Were yeah, we had one other company that was similarly sized, but right when we were about the same size, they got hit with PAGA in California. Um, so let me, I'll explain what that is. So, <clears throat> yeah, I've never heard of with, that one. With a company called Uber. <laughs> Yes, I've heard of them. Um, and the whole gig economy, they had 1099s and California and New York kind of came down on that. And they're still, I think, in lawsuits, maybe even today, um, going through that. And um, But yeah, so California, trying to be all forward thinking as they like to do, passed a law that basically said if you were a service provider, you could sue previous employers for employee misclassification on behalf of the state and it could be retroactive for three years so companies similar Whoa. to ours that had 1099s where we had w-2s the 1099s all got hammered <laughs> and so mm. our biggest competitor in the same space got kicked out of the state of california they couldn't operate there anymore and so their revenue was Accurate. cut down by a third and so then we became the reigning champion and we also picked up some of their Amazing. accounts <laughs> That's great. Wow. Well, you avoided that, of course, because of your experience selling chocolate chip cookies. Like you knew how to maneuver around things like PAGA. I feel like it was more like because I was a massage therapist that was misclassified as a 1099 working at a chiropractor's I office. See. And I was like, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. They're, so they, you did it right. You did it right for the yeah. employees, which is why you, you, yeah, in the end you won because- Because you can't provide any kind of benefits or continuing education or tell them where to be or when to be there or make them wear a uniform. There's like all these rules and it's uh -huh. a gray area. It's like if more of these than not are in the positive, then you should be an employee <laughs> if less, but it's like yeah. a gray area. But California takes that very seriously. And just the lawsuit costs alone will put a company mm -hmm. out of business, even if you're not actually- misclassifying anyone. You just don't even want to be accused. Sure. So you grew it. So you, you avoided this. You did the right thing. You grew, you, you took over California, national domination. <laughs> then what? It just kept getting better, right? It I, did I, for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so well, what, what do you mean for a minute? What happened? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I still <laughs> can't figure it out. 
Um, ah. Yeah, so Q1 of 2020, we ah. by February, we had already exceeded our Q1 goals. And in the meantime, it's like we were on the Inc. 5000 the last two years, um, Utah 100, the Fast 50. I won 40 under four. It's like we, we won like awards every month. It was pretty fun. <laughs> And because we were growing so quickly and um, I'd raised about just under 2 million in angel funding and we were ahead of goal. We'd already hit our goals for Q1. Uh, And then March 13th, Friday, the 13th, 2020. Uh, What's what, what was that? What's significance? It's like like when (laughs) sorry, I know I'm I'm teasing so bad here. And everybody's like, Oh, we're doing work from home and you can't touch people. I mean, I can't think of an an industry that was impacted more than ours because we had a 98% revenue reduction in 2020 2020, from 2020 from 2019. And we were on track to have a, we were on track to have a hundred percent revenue growth in 2020. And we ended up having a 98% reduction. It was like the total opposite of what it was supposed to be. Unbelievable. It was 98% because we did have January, February and half of March where we were operational. So that, made up like that 2% that we still had revenue. I mean, Amelia, you tell the story with a smile, but I mean, this is like, there's rarely an entrepreneur has ever encounters this type of a circumstance, right? I mean, this is, this is unprecedented. How did, how did you feel? Like, what did you do? What was, what was like, what was going on in your head? It was like the worst thing ever. I can't, there really isn't, no more horrible of an experience that I've been through. Um, I was like, holy crap, what are we going to do? And I, I thought, I thought, listen, hopefully this will only last like two weeks, maybe four. I sat down with my board. They're like, put together a 90, a 90 day massage at a, at a standstill and a 180, like a six month. So three months and six months. Mm-hmm. And I had built out one month and they were like, and we want to see three and six. And I was like, six months is not going to last six months. You guys, this is a huge waste of time. We're in the middle of a crisis. I got to focus on all these other things. And they were like, nope, right. put together a six month forecast. And so I did. And when I did, I was like, crap, we will be completely out of money and out of business in like four and a half months. Right. So I put that together. They, they said, okay, we need to furlough everyone on the entire team and just put a pause on all spending, maintain our cash position and wait this out. Um, mm. Later, they told me that they met without me and that they had already decided the company was going to be filing for bankruptcy. <gasps> they were like, wow, they were like, there's I no way they were like, there's no way that, that she's going to survive this. We're going to be filing for bankruptcy, blah, blah, blah. But they wanted to encourage me to try and solution it anyway. They're like, yep. And then figure out how else you can make money. Let's try everything, you know, from dog walking to Amazon drivers. <laughs> at the same time, we have this whole population of all these massage therapists that we were their income. And they're like, there's no work. So we have all this pressure from our team of like, help, we need money, find us something to do. So I'm like, okay, well, how can we use this, this fleet of humans with cars and time to serve in some yeah. other way? Can they deliver vaccines to people's homes? Can they, you know, we looked at everything. Um, even COVID vaccine scheduling, we have this platform yeah. that we had built that could do scheduling for massages. And so we repurposed it to schedule COVID vaccines. Um, to move really quickly. So we were one of the early uh, scheduling solutions for like the the Test Utah um, initiative uh, here in Utah. Um, but the, I mean, we didn't make money doing that. That was all volunteer. <laughs> so yeah. it was just like, well, we've yeah. got humans and they're willing but to that's, work. 
Right, and that's probably important just for their, you know, for their mental health and for their, you know, feeling of satisfaction yeah. that they were getting as employees prior to COVID, right? I mean, you, ultimately, you want to take care of the people, right? Uh, and which you had 1,200 of them or more, yeah. it sounds like. And so, I feel that yeah. very deeply. That's a, like, a lot of people. Not only yeah. could I not help our massage therapists, I couldn't help my own, like, corporate team because every, I was just like, I don't have any money to pay you guys. We will literally go out of business. And so it was heartbreaking. I had to tell, I had to tell the whole team, people that were depending on like their families depending on this. But at the same time, I'm like, well, they could, they were eligible for unemployment. So I didn't have to say like, they have absolutely nothing. We knew there were all these unemployment benefits that were being extended and things like that. Um, but man, I was, I was sick to my stomach. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. It was, it was the most gut-wrenching experience. Mm -hmm. And when I had to tell, um, like my chief revenue officer at the time when I had to tell him, like, we can't afford to keep paying you because you have to be bringing in enough money to cover your salary. And it just, it just wasn't possible. We didn't have anything else to sell yet. Um, when I had to, to, you know, furlough him and know that like his family and his wife was pregnant. And I was just like, I'm the worst human being that's ever lived. <laughs> and I, that's how I felt. I, it was so oh. hard. Um, but I but. can make hard decisions. I can make the hard calls. And I did. Um, so then we pivoted, uh, in the middle of this furlough, we had a, a few people that we had brought back who were willing to work for stock. So they weren't even getting paid, <laughs> but they oh, were just wow. like, they were like, yeah, I got nothing else to do. I'll work and take more stock in the company. So they really believed in us and the team and wanted to help find a solution. And so we, we originally launched and said, well, we have a team and I had sent out the survey to our massage therapist, just like, hey, what else can you do? And we had yoga instructors, we had registered dietitians, we had life coaches, uh, we had fitness instructors and personal trainers. And we put together this um, kind of initial MVP of like, what if we could just offer these services over Zoom and do like these group classes for companies? Um, and at the same time, I interviewed our clients to find out what their needs were. And I thought, oh, we can totally solve this with like group classes over Zoom. So that was my first shot at pivoting the company. And I quickly sure. realized like we were not going to make, <laughs> it was not a path back to, to the revenue numbers we were at pre-COVID. And so I was like, well, that's not going to work. Um, and so then my life coaches started telling me that their clients had uh, real mental health challenges that they needed just to refer them to someone like, oh my gosh, this person is like, has a problem with substance mm -hmm. abuse. This person's su suicidal. Um, suicidal thoughts, like how do we give them some help? And I was like, well, I don't know. I guess we need to find a partner to, to refer them to. So I started calling all these clinics all over Utah and they were all like, we are backed up for months. We cannot help you. And <clears throat> that's when I thought, well, we have a really great team that's experts in staffing massage therapists. I wonder if we could bring them back and have them try to hire mental health therapists. And then if we could sell that to corporations and do it virtually. So that was my like next hypothesis. Spark. What a spark. I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah. And, and so, where did that go? How did that, how did that evolve? Yeah. Or how so, quickly did it evolve? So we had kind of two experiments going on at the same time, because the other thing that was happening was clients were asking for recordings of these group classes and um, even asking us to make custom classes for their teams to put in like their intranet. And so that was my other ideas. I was like, Hmm, they're willing to pay for content. I wonder if we should just like make a bunch of content and sell it. <laughs> um, and so we bought all these like video kits at like at home video kits, like a circle light and like a little stand for their phone and 
um, a mic that they could plug into their phone. And this version was just like, we identified 12 people. We sent them at home video kits and they're all out of work at this point too. Cause if they're yoga instructors or they're doing massage, whatever the case may be, all that was shut down. So they were just so excited to have something to do and to get paid for something. So we were like, just start making a bunch of videos and um, we're going to put them into our app because we had our platform we'd already built for massage. And so we just kind of started expanding it and we got, we got some PPP money. So we got like a PPP one. We ended up getting a second PPP as well. We got an idle loan. So I was just like using everything that I could get my hands on. I'm like, this is our seed money guys. And we're going to go see what we yeah. can if we can take it to market. Scrappy. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, we, we closed our first mental health client, uh, and it launched October, 2020. And we also, I think that's we, pretty quick. That's a pretty quick turn. <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. It was like, it's like six months. Yeah. <laughs> so you had a, and at that point you had a, an MVP basically built that you onboarded that customer. Yeah. I mean, that. the first demos we did were literally in Adobe XD and people didn't know it wasn't real. <laughs> So I'm just like, oh yeah, and then you just click here. And um, I feel like it was just so chaotic too, that people, yeah. it was just like stuff's just flying everywhere. And um, so it's like, even if we did like the demo in Adobe XD and then like what we actually presented to the client didn't look the same. It was like, people didn't even really blink because they it was just, my my employees need help. Well, and it, chaos. Yeah. And ultimately what they needed was this, a solution, right? I mean, they mm -hmm. were looking, they, were, they weren't looking for the, the slickest bells and whistles, beautiful UI. Like they just wanted... A solution that worked yeah. that was addressing their problem and that's yeah. what you did that's what you were focused on yeah even in the very beginning before the app went live we literally just had a page on our website that had an icon for each modality um that we were offering and then when you clicked it it just opened up their calendly page there was actually really no no actual like scheduling software or anything we didn't even have an app it was just like it's a web page. Go here, and then we and then we would manually look at what was booked, and then build the client. So that's kind of how it started on the service side. Um, yeah. <laughs> so once we had about five clients, we so this is uh January 2021, um, and we had a handful of testimonials. I was like, well, we will literally be out of money in 90 days. So now I have to go see if I can convince anyone to fund us. Um, when, you but know, you we were, did something, you built something from nothing. You bootstrapped something to a point where you could say, look at this opportunity, which was, which is, you know, it's once true. again, another puts you in another class of founder that, I mean, is, is a rare, is rare. <laughs> you survived this amazing chasm of death, came out of it and built something with nothing and demonstrated that it worked. Yeah, it worked enough that at least five companies had decided to take it a chance on us. So, and so what was that fundraising process like then? Oh, it was scary and painful because I was like, we're like down to our last 150,000. And I'm just like, all right, well, this is everything I've worked for for the past 11 years. And it's either we either raise the money or we go back to normal. Oh, and at the same time, not go back to normal. We lose everything is what I meant to say. <laughs> At the same time. I hope that's not normal, Amelia. <laughs> I hope not. At the same time, my husband and I had, um, so we had we had like bought a lot like three years earlier and then were, had like saved up for an architect and then had saved up for a construction loan. And we had just started construction on our like dream house in Utah up in Midway. Um, and we were 
60, 70% of the way through the build when COVID hit. And so the whole time I'm going through this pivot, I'm like, oh. I'm like, we're going to lose everything I've worked for. We worked so hard to be able to build this house. And um, this was like our, you know, magnum opus. <laughs> it's like, it was like the thing I've been shooting for my whole life was like, I want, I want um, not to have any debt and I want to have like a nice, comfortable house for my family. Um, and so I was so excited. So yeah, when it, when it all came crashing down, I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to lose everything. We're going to lose the house. Like there's no way for me to make any extra money. And, and not just lose the house. It's like, we won't even be able to finish the build. So we can't even sell it. It'll be a half built house and a half built house sells for pennies on the dollar. Right. So, so I was just like, man, we're going to end up upside down. And I was, mm. I like, I've never been so sick. I actually, the stress and working like 90 hours a week, I actually got an autoimmune disease. I got Graves disease mm. and oh my. had to go to an endocrinologist and it was a year and a half treatment process till I got into full remission. I'm in remission now. So I, I don't I'm have so uh, to hear that. any active Graves disease right now, but I like, that's mm. the amount of stress and just like the darkest time of my life. It was horrible. Oh, well, I'm so glad you pulled through. I mean, it's especially given, you know, where the company is now and where you are now. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Can you tell us about that kind of what got you to, to present? Okay. So I had my five clients. I went back to our existing angels and I said, guys, we got served this black swan event that nobody ever sees. We were doing really well. You know, I can execute. I have this new idea. We have these five clients. They like it. Um, here's their testimonials fund us to just get us to that next step. So the first couple months, it was so slow. That's how it is. I feel like with every fundraising, it's like until you get your first bite, Everyone's just like, we'll see what's going to happen. <laughs> we're we're but, interested. Uh, let us know if anybody else leads. We're, we're, we're yeah. right? It's, it's like yeah. FOMO. I mean, yeah. it was all angels. So we didn't, this was like my third angel round experience. And so I've just always led my own angel rounds. I set the yeah. terms and I'm just like, this is what it is. And then uh, people jump in. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, this time around though, we ended up getting a lot of new investors who had never been interested in what we were doing previously. But now that we were moving into the mental health space and we had a SaaS based pricing model, they were all over it and yeah. we got bigger checks than I've ever gotten. So I I needed less investors because I had multiple, you know, hundred thousand plus checks. Um, when before, I think my biggest check size was 50 and most people were at 25 at the other rounds I'd raised. Um, so yeah, we closed 840,000, I think it closed in February of 2021. And then I was like, okay, we bought ourselves like six to eight months of runway. Let's yeah. go and let's see if we can get this done. Um, and so then we brought on like an architect to help us build the platform. Cause it was, one thing that I left out of the story is we, when we were still a massage company, we had made the business case to go from having our own custom built platform we had built um, and rebuilding it inside of Salesforce because Salesforce had some out of the box functionality where like they had a mobile publisher. So we didn't have to build our own mobile app. We could just push the button mm -hmm. and our community would be published into Apple and Android and then they maintain all of that. And so we had gone from having a developer team of like seven developers to build our, um, we called it the booking app for massage our tech and tech enabled services platform. Um, and we had, we had a team of seven developers and it made more financial sense to move to Salesforce because they had some of the pieces we wanted to build out of the box. And so it was a, it was a speed to market and lowering our headcount on developers that, um, 
we had made that decision. So we were actually, we were actually about 70% of the way through that migration and internal build when COVID hit. And so we had this platform that was 70% of the way built for massage tech enabled services. We had to stop all the massage build and pivot and put all of our development resources toward, um, you know, the CMS building out like the content and, Mm -hmm. um, being able to book virtual services. And so we use that money to continue that build and improve the experience and all that. But in the meantime, there are literally hamsters on wheels behind the curtain, making everything work and move. So our, our clients feel like, oh, there's this app and it works really great. And it's like, they push a button and then somebody's watching a report and then they're going and doing something else to make it happen. Um, oh my gosh, amazing. So, <laughs> that's the, the mechanical of Turk of mental health, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so what, what uh, you know, you pivoted, you got, the, you got the team focused on, you know, building. What about, where was the content coming from though? And could you tell us about kind of what the current offering? I mean, you you have like an amazing amount of sort of full spectrum that covers not just what people would think of as traditional mental health uh, options, but going even like financial planning, right? And like some of the you well, you describe it better than I do. So <laughs> tell us about it. Yeah, so we're a holistic mental health platform, um, and our focus is really anything that contributes to negative mental health we want to address in our platform. So for some people, maybe they're struggling with anxiety and depression just because they're not sleeping well. So we have like a sleep neuro music library that'll help people fall asleep and stay asleep. It's like clinically proven. It's pretty awesome. Um, or maybe you're just feeling really anxious because you're living paycheck to paycheck. Talking to a therapist isn't going to help you, but working with a financial coach, learning how to get on a budget and get out of debt um, will help eliminate that problem. So one of the big things we learn in that first year is that mental health is so personal that not everybody's open to talk therapy and not everybody needs talk therapy. So what other ways can we solve this problem around mental health um, to meet every employee where they're at? So we saw that if you looked at the data, the people that were using teletherapy were a different population than the people just watching videos on mental health. And so that told us that like, it's like, oh, those people both have access to both, but some are choosing one and some are choosing the other. And they're not overlapping really much at all. Um, and there's like research about mental health chatbots and, um, you know, <laughs> people are more open to like chat or text therapy yeah. that wouldn't really talk to someone face to face. So we're just taking in all this information and we're trying to say like, how do we meet the needs of every facet of care that people are interested in? Because ultimately what our clients care about is what percentage of their population is engaging in using the services and feeling better. Um, exactly. And we're going to capture the highest utilization numbers if we're able to meet employees with whatever it is that they need for whatever level they're at. And your holistic approach, you think about, I mean, these are all gateways for people to get well, whether they start with something as small as watching a video, get warmed up to talking up to a bot and eventually being like, you know, actually, I, I want to talk to a person, but it's sort of like everything is a potential gateway to be, to getting yeah. well, right? Exactly. Yeah. I like the way you didn't use the term gateway drug. <laughs> I'm like, no, we don't say that. We're in the mental health. We space, don't, yeah. It's just the, a yeah, gateway. We don't, we don't prescribe <laughs> things. It's a gateway. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Yeah. So it opens Glad the door for that. people. It opens yeah, the door yeah, for yeah. people to, to get ready and comfortable with that level of care. Yeah. So, so where are you at now? What's exciting? Like what exciting news do you have to share or, uh, where, where is the company today? 
in 2022. Yeah. So today we've got about 70 corporate clients, um, 23 people on our team now. We are serving around 20,000 employees and we just closed a $4 million funding round, our first venture round um, in March. It closes end of March. Thank you. It was that was a lot of work <laughs> too. Yeah, that that could probably be a whole other episode. We could talk about that, right? <laughs> um, um, yeah, and then I just won CEO of the year here in Utah for the pivot, and it was pretty crazy because I'm on like the same, <laughs> I'm on the same level with like, uh, you know, the CEO of IHC of Intermountain Healthcare, and the, like all these like big companies. Um, there's a handful of uh, startups, but they're all much more mature than us. So I was just kind of like floored. Uh, when I, I got the email, I was just like, what? <laughs> you really, I, I don't think it's crazy. I mean, our listeners that just heard the story, I mean, no doubt. Like, I can't imagine anybody challenging you for that title, Amelia. I mean, it's amazing. It's a, uh, such an amazing journey. So um, it's very cool. And and by the way, you know, one thing we didn't talk about uh, in the, in the it, you know, throughout this, this journey or the process of growth, you said something early on about uh, when you worked at the call center you know, mm-hmm. kind of just coming out of your shell as, a, as an early professional and discovering this, this sales superpower. And I got to say, from the second that I met you, I was like, wow, this CEO, this founder can sell. I mean, you, you sell and you, you did that. Like you sold, was it like the first 40 customers or so? Is that yeah. right? That you, it was like our, our first 450,000 of ARR I yeah. sold and so yeah, I didn't. The hardest. Really I mean, that's business. the hardest four hundred fifty thousand right there, right? I yeah. and I didn't know. I didn't know until I went through this experience that I even had that. That was something unique to me. I mm-hmm. just, you know, how you just kind of assume everyone's just like you until you learn that they're not. <laughs> like, oh, everyone. Yeah. This is easy for me. It must be easy for humans in general. <laughs> um, people were so amazed by that that I was like, oh, maybe that's something unique to me. That like it's a talent or a skill that I have that is less common or unique in some way. Anyway, it was an eye-opening experience. I learned a lot about myself that I didn't know. And I probably would have maybe never learned not having gone through that experience. Yeah, for sure. You know, another, another kind of superpower, you've got a bunch of them, but another one I want to highlight, and I'd love to get your perspective or, or advice for founders is, you know, you, you, you really seem to be, at least from what I see, like a, a, a LinkedIn, just sort of maven and expert and, like you are, you're on it, like on the social, on the promotion, on the, what's, what's the secret ingredient there? Vulnerability okay. and consistency. <laughs> ah, okay. So that's what people engage with is vulnerability. Um, and it's from a formula standpoint, there is kind of a, a formula to it where it's like, you can't just have every post be like, I'm burying my soul about this thing. Right. Um, you can't have every post be highlighting someone else and making someone else look like a rock star. You can't have every post be about your family, right? But it's, it's what people want is connection and they want to feel connected to you and they connect to you through authenticity. And with that authenticity, there has to be some vulnerability and some showing like I'm less human, you know, lessons learned posts are really popular, but they can get old. So you just, you can't stick to any one strategy. You have to make sure that whatever you're posting on LinkedIn is a blend of different things that people engage with different people engage with different stuff too. So yeah, I can't tell you how many times, uh, in the last two years I've gone somewhere 
in public and random people I've never seen before come up to me and they're like, I follow you on LinkedIn. I love your stuff. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> this is so weird. But it shows you're doing something and you're doing something right. So that's that's great. Yeah. What do you have any advice on on networking, especially networking in 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 region or or Utah, where, wherever you you feel comfortable sharing some advice on? Yeah, I mean, my advice on networking is just like it's like always be helping, right? Um, I always, not always, but most of the time I am asked to speak at universities to college students, or even I just did a high school um, last week, a, a virtual high school, and they recorded the session for their curriculum. Um, anytime I get those opportunities, I'll go do it. So, um, and even what, at one point, one of my board members was like, you give back later. Right now you need to like focus on the business. And, get, and I was like, no, but that's not me. I, I give back now because what if I died tomorrow? I couldn't just say, well, I'm going to wait until I'm like in my fifties and retired or whatever. No, I got to give back now. So, and I love also, I love getting in front of young adults and teenagers. It's like the energy is so, it just reignites that entrepreneurial fire that I have. But my point was I have had multiple investors come out of those university talks um, and uh, new clients and connections. I've had people that there's, a, I just had someone email me the other day. They're like, you came and spoke at my college class and now I work at this place. And like, can we set up a meeting? So um, there's that. And then connecting, like I connected an entrepreneur yesterday um, who wanted some investor intros. And I sent him like six, um, you know, double opt-in um, investor intros for sure. But just taking those five minutes to just try and help people. Um, it always comes back to you like a hundred X. That's my biggest networking advice is like be authentically wanting to help other people. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Um, last, last question, uh, that I have for today, you know, you've, you've always impressed me as well as, as, as someone that seems to be able to, to sort of manage and balance, uh, being a CEO, being a SaaS CEO, venture back CEO, but also being a mom. And I remember the first time I met you in person, you were with your daughter at Silicon Slopes. And I would love for you to just share some advice, uh, you know, for, for parents out there that are trying to do it all, trying to be great parents and founders. Like, how do you do it? What's the magic? Uh, it's super hard. <laughs> For me, like I started my company with babies working from home. We were a remote team before COVID for like a decade. We were using Zoom before people even knew what it was. Um, so I built a company that reflected what was important to me. So for me, it was like I wanted to be home with my girls and it had to be able to work with my life. So I would I would work like after they were at school and then I'd you know, they come home and I'm doing dinner and I'm taking them places. And then I'd work again after they're in bed for a few hours. And so my organization took on those attributes of that flexibility. And at the time it was like so different. In fact, I remember an investor telling me, you can't build a company. You can't scale a company like that. Like you have to be in an office together. And I was just like, oh, well, I think can. <laughs> and now it's like, hello. <laughs> Thank you very um, much. Yeah. But yeah, for me, it was how much can I integrate family and work on like, um, give and take. So just, I had to get rid of that idea of like, Oh, you got to work nine to five. You know, when I first started in corporate massage, I was only working part-time on it, just like mm -hmm. where I had time and then it grew and it took more of my time. And then now, like you mentioned, my daughter was with me at Silicon Slopes. Um, I, my life now, every business trip I take, 
I try to take one of my daughters with me. So I have three girls. I don't have any boys. So that's why I just keep saying daughters. <laughs> um, so not cool. like I'm, I'm excluding so cool. my sons. I just don't have any. No, no, we under, we know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's even such with, a cool idea. I love that. That's really special. Yeah. Even, even with like when we were closing our venture round um, and I went to go meet our VCs in person, I, I told them in an email, I said, just so you know, my daughter's going to be with me. I always take one of my daughters when I go on any trip. And so um, the first time I met my VCs before the round had even closed, uh, they got to meet one of my daughters and, um, you know, my daughters got to learn, like, this is what conversations are. Like, these are questions they ask. And like, this is venture capital. Like, it's it just like a really good learning experience. And so for me, yeah. it helps me number one, because I'm getting these special experiences one-on-one -on -one with each one of my kids that are unique. And, uh, cause my best memories from childhood are when I was one-on-one -on -one with any one of my parents. And so when I mm -hmm. think about that, I'm like, how do I give that same thing to my kids? Um, and so bringing them on trips with me, it's like a good education. It's one-on-one -on -one time. We always eat at some really great restaurants and like have some like amazing desserts or do a little sightseeing, um, wherever <laughs> we go. And of course. yeah, I just think, I, I think that's the way that things will be moving forward in the world anyway. I mean, everyone's used to seeing kids on Zoom calls now and um, mm -hmm. taking breaks in the middle of the day to to do stuff with your kids. I mean, my team does. <laughs> and I think, and I've heard of other companies doing it too, but it's just, we're, we're in a different era now where I think we're going to see more of that. As somebody that has, you know, seen the future many times before, I, I, I would put a lot of faith in what you just said. I think that's that's absolutely right. And I want to thank you for sharing that. That's just such a special story um, with, with what you're doing with your daughter. So thank you for sharing that with everybody. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Amelia, from, you know, cookies and glow sticks to massage on demand and COVID to emerging like a, a phoenix uh, and, and starting this, this amazing company addressing mental health challenges, I got to say, I just can't wait to see what continues to happen here because it's been an amazing journey. Uh, and thank you for telling the story today on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Les. Always a pleasure. Can you please uh, tell our audience where they can find you and Navati online? Yep. So Navati is just navati.com, N-I-V-A-T-I. And then I'm super active on LinkedIn. So if you want to DM me or connect with me on LinkedIn, that's awesome. I would love it. It's just Amelia Wilcox. <laughs> So um, that's how most people find me and get in touch with me anyway. Awesome. Thanks, Amelia. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to foundintherockies.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop every two weeks. We'll see you next time.